Hi, Gateway Church Dartford here. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. We trust that what you hear will be a blessing and an encouragement to your journey. You know, we're there and please continue to pray for us. Okay, I think the kids are going to leave us. I'm going to swap mics and I'm going to read some verses from scripture and I'm going to share a little bit, which hopefully will give a bit of a a context for what we do from the Bible, but also I hope it will speak to us who are here as well. And um, the verses I'm going to read are from Luke chapter 15. Um, And they're two really well-known stories. And Luke 15 verse 1 says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now I want us to think about those well-known stories just for a few minutes this morning, but I want to start by asking you a moderately personal question. I've only just started talking, so it's a bit early to be asking this, but are you listening? No, it's good, someone is. Are you really listening? You see, Jesus tells these stories to two groups of people, and I want to suggest they would have heard it very, very differently. So firstly, you've got the people the tax collectors and the sinners, and it says they were gathered round to hear him. They were there to listen to Jesus because they knew that Jesus' words mattered. They knew that Jesus' words were life or death. They knew they had nothing else to hope for very often apart from what Jesus offered them. But there was another group there as well. And they were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they muttered, and they muttered about the other people who were there. Now, are you a listener or a mutterer? Now, of course, I'm sure we all think we're listeners. We don't want to be mutterers, do we? But have you ever, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands at this point, but encourage me that I'm not the only one, but it might make you feel embarrassed. But have you ever walked out of church on a Sunday morning? And in your head, you've been thinking, or perhaps you've said to your significant other or over the dinner table something like, Oh, did you see so-and-so was there today? They haven't been for a few weeks, have they? Or, oh, they've had their hair done. Or even, oh, it's such a shame that so-and-so wasn't there. They'd have been really blessed by that word this morning. And if you've ever done that, do you think that makes you more like the people who were there to listen to Jesus? or like the people who were muttering about everyone else who was there. You see, we've all got a bit of a mutterer in us, haven't we? Frankly. So I want to ask, are you really listening? Can you really hear what Jesus is saying this morning? 
And what's, the, what's he trying to say here? What's the heart of this message? Well, the heart of this message, which is as relevant today as it was when Jesus first spoke it, is the value of one. One versus 99 in the first story, one versus 10 in the second story. If you go on to the next story, which is the parable of the prodigal son, it's one versus two. But the point is that in every case, one matters. One has value. The value of one. Now, value is a tricky concept, isn't it? If you've ever tried to sell your house or your car or flog your vinyl collection on eBay, you will know that sometimes what you think something is worth is different to what someone else thinks it's worth. And that can be a bit frustrating, really. But as Christians, our underlying conviction is this, that the value of one is the lifeblood of the Son of God. That's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? One is worth Jesus' death on the cross. That's the value of one. What's really interesting, in Matthew 18, where the story of the, the sheep and the lost sheep is told in Matthew's gospel, Jesus specifically links it in Matthew 18, verse 14, to children. And the sort of the last little saying in Matthew 18, verse 14, is about not causing one of these little ones to sin because the children have such value. Now, for us, we would sort of think that's obvious, wouldn't we? You know, if you want to flog anything, if you're in marketing, the way to do it is to get a cute child on the picture. But actually, it's not always been like that, and it's not always as much like that as we might even think. If you go back to, I don't know if you're up for a bit of Greek philosophy on a Sunday morning, but if you go back to Plato, as you do most days, I'm sure, uh, Plato, the uh, great Greek philosopher, the founder of modern democracy and all this rubbish that we hear from time to time, this was his comment on children. In order to be worth rearing, it's an interesting concept, in order to be worth rearing, in order to be worth bringing up, children must be malleable, disposed to virtue, and physically fit. If not, parents can properly dispose of them in secret. It's a bit extreme, isn't it? But... It was how it was. If you went to ancient Rome, there were rubbish heaps outside the city where they would leave unwanted babies. And it was the Christians who would go round to those rubbish heaps and collect those babies and bring them up as their own because they saw the value of one child. And that's where we're at. You think, oh, it's not like that nowadays. Well, no, in some ways it's not. But actually, how much 
does our education system, for example, really value the individual? And how much is it just trying to squeeze kids into a mould? How much of the messages that children and young people get from school and from the surrounding culture, how much of that comes down to you have value if you achieve, if you're successful, if you do well, if you conform, then we'll value you. And how much should we as God's people be kicking against that and saying, actually, you have value because you're made in the image of God and because God so loved you that he gave his son to die for you. Whoever you are, however physically fit, malleable and disposed to virtue you might appear to be, you have value. And that's the gospel, isn't it? That's the gospel. Think of this. 95% of children and young people in the United Kingdom have no connection to church. 98 to 99% of them are in school. So if we're serious about wanting them to learn their value as created in the image of God and loved by him and worth the lifeblood of Jesus, where do you think we need to be as the church? That's what drives us to do what we do in cribs. But I want to just pause for a minute and ask us to reflect on this for ourselves as well. Because actually, if the truth of what Jesus is saying here is that one has value, that means that you have value. And that means that actually, if you look at these stories, who's the one that Jesus goes after? And who's the one who he highlights to illustrate value? Is it the one who's always done well? Who looks good on the outside? Who's conformed? Who's apparently successful? who's not strayed off and made some dumb decisions? Or is it the one who has made a mess? You see, it's very, very easy. I don't know about you. But when life is pants, and sometimes it is, when sometimes we feel a bit rubbish, because we know that some of that is our own fault because we've made some really stupid choices. Maybe we know even some sinful choices and we've got ourselves lost. The risk is that particularly at those moments, we doubt our value to God. We doubt that he cares. Because actually, why would he? We've done some dumb things, we've gone off on our own, and we've made some really bad choices. But actually, 
the sheep that the shepherd leaves the 99 for is the one that's wandered off. I read this quote last year from quite an extraordinary book, and it's just stayed with me, and I find it so powerful. It's going to come up on the screen now. Your worth is not diminished by your lostness. Your preciousness is not annulled by your pain. However dark things are, however rubbish you feel, however far away from God you feel, I want to say to you this morning, you are still precious. You're valued. In your lostness and in your pain, you have worth and you are precious. And sometimes all we can do is hold on to that. Your worth is not diminished by your lostness. Your preciousness is not annulled by your pain. The second story is really quite interesting because this whole thing about the coin going missing, the coin would have been part of a dowry ring that a woman would have had on her marriage, and there were ten of them. And when one went missing, there was obviously the sentimental thing that actually this was linked to her wedding and all that stuff, but actually... The whole thing had less value because one coin was missing. And actually, you need to understand that you matter as part of the whole. It's not you in glorious isolation sitting in the corner, but actually, the whole has less value when you're not present. (coughs) Excuse me. You matter as part of the whole. The whole The value of the whole is increased by your being present. That's an extraordinary thought, isn't it? I remember when I was in pastoral ministry, um, one of the things about that is you get to know people's stories. And it's so easy to make judgments from the outside, isn't it? But actually, oh, thanks, Bev. Um, Take a swig. Sometimes I'd look out on the congregation and know the stories and I'd look at people and I'd think, if only other people knew how much it cost you just to be here this morning. And that's value, isn't it? Your worth is not diminished by your lostness. Your preciousness is not annulled by your pain. But there's one more thing I want to say. And um, that's when you get to the end of these stories. And we're so familiar with it, we kind of, you know, it's just part of the story, isn't it? And I want to suggest that actually it's downright weird and it's actually Jesus' little joke. Uh, And he's using humour to make a point. And this is this bit about the fact that it's party time. Now, you know, we know it, don't we? I find it interesting that when he finds the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. That's just a really interesting word. When Jesus finds you, when you've wandered off, don't think he's, oh, you again. He's happy. He joyfully puts the sheep on his shoulders. 
But there's something quite strange. We're so familiar. So the shepherd gets home, calls his friends and neighbours to him and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. The woman, when she finds her coin, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. Now, I'm going to take a swig of water before I get into this bit. Hang on. Question, who's ever lost anything? You can admit to something now. Um, mobile phone? Wallet? Credit cards? Glasses? House keys? Car keys? Car at Blue Water? That's a man thing, isn't it? Anyway, it's another story. You know that sinking feeling when you realise you've lost something. You know, oh dear, my phone, my keys, my whatever it is. Oh no, the pit of your stomach's all full. Oh my goodness. And then, probably nine times out of ten, you find them again. Or if you're a man, your wife finds them for you. (laughs) And, um, and then there's a feeling of relief. But have you ever, I think I know the answer to this, have you ever found your keys, your phone, your car, your car keys, whatever it is, your wallet, and thought, yes, I've got it. I know what, family WhatsApp group, down to Sainsbury's, buy a bottle of Prosecco, we're having a party this evening. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you sent that out? What? You're having a party because you found your phone. I didn't even know you'd lost it. It's a bit weird. And I don't think it was any less weird when Jesus was telling the story in the first place. I think he was exaggerating for a bit of humour to make a point. Uh, It's even worse when you think, what's the job of a shepherd? To watch the sheep. Part of watching a sheep, what a shepherd does, is he goes to seek the ones that have wandered off. In fact, if you go through the Old Testament, there are times when God really slates the shepherds, those who are in charge of Israel, because they haven't done that, because that was their job. So in other words, the shepherds come home and throw in a party because he's done his job. It's a bit weird. Imagine you're a train driver. You get home from your shift and, yes, I was only two minutes late today. Let's have a party. It doesn't make any sense. And we're so used to it that we just pass it by. So why is Jesus exaggerating, making this little joke almost about what happens here? And I think the reason is he's doing it very simply to underline and underscore the point he's trying to make. He's doing it to really emphasize the value of one. To make it so you can't miss it. Now, it's really interesting. Fascinating that you started with Psalm 23 and the references to Psalm 23 because actually... um, Someone has said, a bit of theology, we have Greek philosophy, so we've got a bit of biblical theology this morning. Um, 
that most of the New Testament is just the Old Testament rewritten with Jesus as the hero. So when Jesus tells stories about a shepherd and a sheep, what do you think a Jewish person who was steeped in the Old Testament scriptures would think about? I think one of the things they think about is the Lord is my shepherd. And what's interesting is how does Psalm 23 end? Psalm 23 starts with God being a shepherd. But it ends with God throwing a party. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's not about a shepherd. That's about someone hosting a dinner. So God starts off in Psalm 23 as a shepherd, and he ends up as one throwing a party, a bit like what happens in this scripture that we've read this morning in Luke 15. And again, you know, we're so familiar with the words. Do we get what they're really saying? You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Have you ever been to a party, probably at Jan's actually, where every time your glass is empty, it gets topped up again? It gets a little bit embarrassing. That's what my cup overflows means. That every time your glass gets empty, God tops it up again. What an extraordinary thought. What an extraordinary thought. God prepares a table for you. Now, I don't know if you've got to this stage in life. Or maybe you've got a relative who has. I think I'm there myself now. When, when it comes to Christmas time and birthday time, and people say to you, what would you like for your birthday? What would you like for Christmas? And have you ever heard or perhaps uttered yourself this immortal phrase? Oh, don't make a fuss. The extraordinary point of these stories is that the creator of the universe wants to make a fuss of you. You're worth making a fuss about. Wow, that's a bit mad, isn't it? The creator of the universe wants to make a fuss of you because you have value. One has value. Will we let God make a fuss of us? Or will we push him away? Will we understand the value that there is? Even if we feel a bit in a dark place, a bit lost, that actually we are worth Jesus coming to look for. And will we really listen and understand that there are hundreds, thousands of children and young people, even just in this area, who need to hear that they matter, who need to hear that their lives have value to the one who created the universe and loved them enough to give himself for them. I'm going to pray. 
Heavenly Father, we struggle sometimes to take it in that we have value to you. Lord, help us know that at the core of who we are, we are loved. That we are loved by the God who spoke stars into being. We are loved by the God who invented DNA. And we're loved so much that he gave his son for us. Lord Jesus, help us to take that in. And help us to be shaped by that. Fill our hearts with a desire to share that love, that belovedness, that preciousness with the hundreds and thousands of children and young people and others all around us who the world would say are just an insignificant number. Lord, help us to kick and scream until it's clear that one matters to you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Can we, hold on, Mark. Can we stretch our hands? Where is the Tracy? Tracy, do you want to come and join Mark and Dan? Can we just stretch our hands? Can we all stand and stretch our hands over these guys? I'm sure they have strategies. Um, and I'm sure they, um, they have plans. But the Bible says this, that the steps of the righteous man are ordered by the Lord. There is one thing to work in our own strength, but I know there is something else to work according to the Lord's pattern and plans. Let's just pray for them right now, for the wisdom of heaven to be deposited in them and over them and their teams to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. To when they come and then when they share, they can speak on behalf of heaven. And their words will transform the atmosphere. The lives of children represented there with their families. Father, I want to pray that words will not just be words, not be words of, of Tracy, or Mark, of Dan and their teams, but it will be your words speaking through situations, breaking down barriers, transforming darkness into light. I pray for an overwhelming sense of your anointing. In such a way, like the Bible says, it breaks down yoke and removes all burden. I pray that your presence will accompany them and their families. And because they are active in that way, the enemy is not going to like it. So Lord, I pray for protection from the top of their head to the tip of their toe. May their families are protected. By the precious blood of Jesus. 
Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And when they're faced with hardship, when they're faced with discouragement, I pray that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of encouragement, the paracletos, the helper, the one who is the comforter will comfort them. I pray for resources to come their way. I pray for financial resources to come their way. I pray people will give generously into this work. David will say, I was young and I am now old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken and the seed begging for bread. And I pray for an overflow in their finances. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. We want to be a church that uh, encourages the work of the ministry that goes beyond the local church. Um, the fivefold ministry is not just um, that is important in the life of the church. The gifts that God is giving and where Mark and Dan and Tracy goes, we are not able to go. But we can pray for them, we can support them, and we can financially give to them. I want you to have a look at their uh, resources at the back and whatever you can do to help, even in prayer, it's going to be much beneficial for them. Mark, thank you very much for coming to us and can we give him a gateway? Thank you. <laughs>